And I truly believe that if we are going to get through difficult seasons of life and be the overcomers that we already are, every single person that raised their hand and said, I'm in the valley, I want to declare over you, you are an overcomer. Like, you're not an overcomer because you finally get to the end of the valley and go, oh, I'm here. No, you're an overcomer regardless of whether you're on the mountaintop or whether you're in the valley. You are his beloved son and daughter. And he is calling every single one of you to rise up and to get your attention back upon how good he is. That he is the shepherd of your life. Because everything in life is driven by your perception of your father. If you think he's distant during those moments of difficulty, you won't lean upon him. You'll find another person to lean upon. And I just want to remind you that your Heavenly Father is always good. He always has your best in mind, and he's always setting you up to succeed in him. So no matter what you're going through, your Father is always good. He always has your best in mind, no matter what route he allows you to go through. No matter how difficult it may be, how dark it may look, he is always good. He always has your best in mind, and he's always setting you up to what? Succeed in what he's called you to do. I used to believe, and I used to be so prideful about the fact that God and me have lived a straight line the whole time. I used to look at other ministers or other individuals and their life was like a ball of yarn. Like, what, what is God doing in your life? Like, me and God, we take a step here and it's great. We take a step here and it's great. We take a step here and it's good. All good for like 15 years. And then, man, where did that go? He just totally screwed that thing up. Like, huge, huge mess up. Mess with my whole head. Mess with all my theology on how a good life looks. Why? Because he was going to rid me of something. Whenever he prunes you, whenever he prunes a, a tree, what is the purpose of the pruning for? To produce, thank you, Michael, to produce more fruit. That's what he took me through for two and a half years of just zigzag after zigzag. And yeah, he wore me out so that I realized it's not by might nor by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. And so David said these words in Psalms 34. He said, Oh, taste. And see that the Lord is good. Life has a way of clouding this. It has a way of saying, you know what? No, nope, I won't believe it. No, nope, I can't see it. And David is saying, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You ever go downtown? I know there's a lot, a lot of donut shops, but there's one particularly that I hope that you taste and see how good it is. Do right donuts. It's phenomenal, but it's the same type of thing is that until you go and taste it, until you see it, you won't truly experience it. I want to encourage you, taste and see how good God is. For blessed is the man who what? Trust in him. But it's so difficult to trust in God when you do not believe that he's good. That you do not believe he always has your best in mind and he's always setting you up for success in him. And so we are to rest in him and his goodness. Circumstances are irrelevant when it comes to resting in God. No matter what you may be facing, rest is a promise that is available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's always available for you to be at a place of rest in God. So what's a simple 
working definition of rest. You can put that on the screen. To be unmoved, to be unhinged, and total peace regardless of your circumstances. Now I want you to read that and not say, okay, I need to strive to get there. You practice this. I want to show you what it looks like. Put up that cute picture. This is the definition of rest. Because what I'm talking about is not physical rest. It's a rest of your soul. It's the ability to feel like this when all hell breaks loose. Jesus was asleep on the boat during what? A storm. And so what is impressive is not that he called the storm down. What is impressive is that he was asleep while the storm was going on. And his disciples woke him up saying these words, Master, Jesus, Lord, we're going to die. Do something about this. And how many times do we freak out? And I'm telling you there is a place in Jesus that I'm calling all of you up to, little by little. It's like percentages. You may not never fully be there. We're always striving to learn how to walk in this place. But there is a place called rest. Unmoved, unhinged, full of peace, regardless of the circumstances, this is how you can be on the inside. I know that is so far-fetched from so, so many of you where you actually are right now, that when something happens, you start to freak out and you start, there's a place called rest with God. It's called the kingdom of God that lives on the inside of us. It's when Jesus got news that Lazarus was dead, what did he do? He remained in his town for two more days. He wasn't moved by what he saw. When Lazarus had been dead for almost four days, he walked up to that tomb with great confidence. Why? Because he was at a place of rest at all times. And this is not like a perfect state, like, oh man, Justin's here. I'm not teaching this because I'm here. I'm teaching this because I try to practice this as much as I can, that as the last two and a half years of circumstances and things happening with my daughter and issues between me and my wife Sarah and financial difficulty, all those different things, the Lord was saying, I want to teach you how to rest. Because if I make all of these things better, you'll never learn how to rest when all things are not better. And I want to teach you, Justin, how to get to a place of rest. And so that's what we're talking about today is how to be unhinged and unmoved in a place of peace, regardless of what you're facing. It's not a place of pretending. Please hear my words. We're not denying we're not pretending, we're not ignoring, we're simply saying, Lord, in the midst of the storm, I just practice your rest today. Remember this, the idea of rest, or another word we'll use for rest, is trust, is 100% relational. The idea of rest is 100% relational. It's who you are in his eyes and whose you are. Think about this, is that kids in a foster home or kids that are orphans do not feel the same confidence that their needs are taken care of as someone like my daughter who wakes up and realizes for the last nine years, the fridge is always full, there's always gonna be food, I'm gonna be provided for. There's a place of rest inside of her that she never has to worry about if she's gonna eat or not. 
And that's the difference that he takes us from, is from a place of orphans, where we feel all those things. We live that way. We're always scrapping, always getting by, always just have to fight to the next thing. And then God adopts us. He brings us into a place of sonship or a daughter of God. And now he has to teach us how to be at rest as a son or daughter. When we're over here, we're trying to strive and learn how to, or we're trying to earn our pleasure of this new father that adopted us. And he's going, wait, 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 wait. You didn't do anything for me to adopt you. I didn't pick you out because you were the coolest. I didn't pick you out because I wanted you to impress me. I adopted you because I chose you from the foundations of the world. You are my son and daughter. Now just rest and be my son. Just rest and be my daughter. But, but, but God, I really, I, I just need to start doing this for you. And God, I want to do this for you. And God, I want to just rest. Learn first how to rest. And it's out of this place of complete security with God that you live your life. Am I making any sense today? Sometimes you stand up here and you're like, Okay, are we connecting at all? <laughs> Amen. I got two yeses. Thank you very much. For the affirmation. My love language is affirmation. Psalms 23, verse 4. Look at what it says here. Lord, even when your path, I like how these words are, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness. That makes sense to you. Like, why would his path take us that way? Because he wants us to know who he is. And he wants us to know whose we are. That no matter whether you're in the brightest day of your life or the darkest moment, God never forsakes you. Like he'll never leave your side. Like it's just overwhelming when he, he showed us in the Old Testament with the, the children of Israel who were in bondage for 400 years. He came. And what did he do? He didn't just deliver them out of Egypt. No, what did he do? He had Moses who is a representation of Jesus, to come and deliver them. And God, through the ten plagues, how do you say that, plagues, plagues? Through the ten plagues, what did he do? He was wooing the Israelites to him. I love this about God, because he was not about Pharaoh, it was all about his people. It was not about messing with Pharaoh, it was about showing his people, I want you to know who I am. So watch what I'll do. I'll do anything to deliver you. And if you don't trust me yet, I'll do it again. If you don't trust me yet, I'll do it again. And he did it over and over and over and over until finally the people were God of God were ready to follow him out of that place of bondage. And that's what he does for all of us just as well. He says, I want you to, I want you to know my path may take you through the darkest valley, but I'm all about you. I'm not about the, the valley. I'm about you knowing who I am. And it says, your path takes me through the valley of deep darkness. But fear will never conquer me, for you already have. And you remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away all my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are where. God's near every single person in this room. He doesn't look at your life and look at your performance and goes, I'm going to just distance myself a little bit until you get your act in mind. No, he's always near. He's always comforting us and bringing us up and calling us out of the place where we're trying. Think about this. He's always attempting to bring us to a place that no matter if we go through a valley 
or on the mountaintop, we're not asking him for what's the next season. Where we're so content that no matter if I'm in the valley, I know he's with me. If I'm the, on the mountaintop, I know he's with me. And either where I'm at, there will make no difference of what happens on the inside of me. Okay, I want you to really catch this because this could change a lot of things for a lot of people. Is that when we're on a mountaintop, we feel confident and we feel secure and we feel like God is doing some amazing things in our life. When we're in a valley, we're, we're doubting and we're questioning and we're like, wow, when am I going to get through this? And I want you to know rest is when in the valley you're the same as when you're on the mountaintop. Are you catching that? That is that that's that's Christianity right there is when I don't know no matter what I go through Habakkuk said it like this can somebody quote it for me I don't know the, no the fig tree does not what blossom and the cows don't produce and whatever and whatever and whatever nothing is happening in my life what did he say yet I will praise you why because circumstances have no bearing on your place of rest that right there you. The kingdom of God lives on the inside of you. The kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, joy, and peace. The Holy Spirit will show you how to live at a place where you can trust God in the darkest moment and celebrate God in the greatest moment of your life and not be unhinged or moved because of what you are seeing. So the key to experiencing rest is learning how to dwell in God's presence. You can do this wherever you go. Why? Because the Spirit of God dwells where? In you. If I take that little cologne bottle, wherever I go, that cologne bottle does not produce any smell until what? Spray it. And so I don't wait for God's presence to then praise Him. When I praise Him, I spray. And as I praise, His presence fills my car. It fills my shower, it fills my workplace, it fills wherever environment I'm at because the presence of God is within. And when I rejoice and when I give thanks and when I start to praise God for whatever it is that I'm going through, his presence fills that, fills that place right there. And then I learn how to dwell in his presence and get his view of what I'm going through and then I can declare without pretending, all will be well. Psalms 91, verse number 1 says these words. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I believe Moses wrote this psalm, but it says, He who dwells. Dwelling takes time. You don't dwell at a drive-thru at a McDonald's. You dwell at a fine dining. You dwell. And he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, that word dwell means to sit, to remain, to rest. And that word shadow means to cover you between you and the trouble that you're facing. And as you know, a lot of preachers like to do cliches. Well, here's my cliche for you today. His shadow doesn't stop trouble, but it does stop the trouble from troubling you. The shadow of his presence does not stop troubling from happening. God is not in the business of stopping trouble from happening in your life. But if you will learn how to abide under the shadow of the Almighty, what happens is that trouble will not trouble you. It won't make you bitter. It won't make you something inside where you hate the season of life. I know many people who go through difficult seasons of life and because they did not abide, 
because they did not dwell on the goodness of God. They look in that season, they despise it. They hate what God took them through. They're angry at God of why he allowed them to go through that. And then there's others who learn how to dwell, who learn that God is good, that he always has our best in mind, and he's always setting me up to succeed. When I get through that season of life, I go, I thank God for that season of life. In fact, I'm going to take a picture of it. I'm going to put it on my wall and say, God, this is who you became for me during this season of my life. And he has become sustainer for me. In those last two years, he became somebody that was my guide in those last two years. Not my answer man, my guide. That I, that I almost became in a place where I started to learn about God's overwhelming love for me. When things were not going the way that I had planned them for. So he no longer could he be impressed by my plans and how I worked something out. So if you're going to be protected in life, you're going to have to learn how to dwell on God's goodness and dwell in his presence. One of my wife's favorite psalms says this. David declared in Psalms 121, I will lift up my eyes. I want you to get that picture. I will what? I just want to encourage you, those who raised your hands as I'm going through a valley, lift up your lift up your eyes. Start to get a different perspective. God, who do you want to be for me? Right now in this season of my life, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. I know in difficult moments, the first thing we want to do is post it. The second thing we want to do is call somebody about it. The third thing we want to do is wallow in it. And I just want to encourage you, before you post it, before you call somebody about it, before you wallow in it, just lift up your eyes to the hills and say, wait, who? Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Like if he can make the heavens and the earth, that's the one person I should be looking at. But the reason why we don't look at him is because we don't believe he's always good. We don't believe he has our best in mind. And we don't believe he's setting us up to succeed. And so Moses goes on to write these words in Psalm 91 verse 2. Before it says, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. And surely he shall, not me, he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. And he shall, not us, he shall cover us with his what? His feathers. And under his wings you shall take refuge. And his truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Psalms 57, 1 says, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath what? The shadow of your wings. Put that picture of an eagle, eagle, if you can, Jackson. There's a picture that I got is that God, he covers us with his wings. That when there's trouble, he doesn't go, oh, trouble, go away. No, he goes, I'm going to now comfort you in this trouble. I want you to see something that Charles Spurgeon wrote. I thought this was quite funny. He says that if an uninspired man had given a designation to God of being like a mother hen, we would have called it blasphemy. I never saw God like this before. I want you to catch that quote because he said, if somebody that was not inspired wrote the scriptures and talked about God as having wings and cover us like a mother hen, we would be like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. But Moses, under the inspiration of God, got a picture of God that he is 
allowing us to abide under the shadow of the Almighty, that he covers us with his wings. The Father wants you to come in his direction. <coughs> Amen. In Psalms 20, verse 7, it says these words. Some trust in chariots, or the stock market, or their job, or somebody else's expertise, or a program, and some trust in horses, or their strength. But we will remember what? The name of the Lord God. Just a few of the names that I put down here. He's Elohim, which is God the Creator. He's El Elyon, the God who is most high. He's El Roy, the God who sees. He's El Shaddai, the God who is a mighty. To the sinner, he's the Lamb of God who take away your sins. To the worried, he's your Prince of Peace. To the broken, he is your comforter. To the downtrodden, he's a friend of sinners. To the sick, he is your great physician. And to the thirsty, he is the water of life. And to the sons and daughters, he is a Christ who is our life. The name above all names, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the lover of our souls and he is the redeemer of our lives. We stop putting our trust in chariots and horses. But let's remember the name of God because it's the name of God of who he is toward us. And I want to show you something this morning. It's a simple process and I won't get through everything I, I hope to get through today. But I want to show you a process that God takes all of us on. It's a battle that all of us face on a daily basis of trusting God and what this looks like. Now remember this about the kingdom of God. Everything in the kingdom works by one thing, believing. 